If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 26 through 38. And as you do that, let me introduce uh, myself. My name is Kyle Valer. I serve as the associate pastor here on staff at Liberty. And I want to welcome those of you that are visiting with us, uh, whether in person or worshiping with us online. Uh, we're glad that you're here uh, over the next several weeks, um, our serve pastor Brian uh, and I will be filling in for Pastor Tim as uh, he recovers from surgery this past weekend. Uh, he is doing well. He texted me this morning and just uh, wanted me to um, just voice his appreciation to you as a faith family for your prayers and uh, just the way that you have been ministering to him and to Dawn. Um, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, this morning we're continuing our series, No Christmas Without, uh, by focusing on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the entire purpose of this series has been to showcase how each person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, is indispensable to what we celebrate at Christmas. A couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tim began the series uh, focusing in on God the Father, who has orchestrated and planned all that happened in that miracle of Christmas. And then last week, he zeroed in on the Son of God, Jesus, whose very birth is the reason we have anything to celebrate at all at Christmas. Um, today, we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, which may seem to be kind of a different focus for the Sunday right before Christmas. In fact, as Tim and Brian and I were uh, planning the series, we actually had discussions about whether or not we should switch the focus this morning um, with last week's focus, so to have the, the sun as the focus this morning. But I'm actually glad that we didn't because concentrating on the Spirit today allows us to paint a fuller picture of His role in the Christmas miracle uh, than he is normally given credit for. The Father who sends the Son um, and the Son who is sent by the Father, like that's, those are pretty straightforward. We, we get those. But what about the Spirit? What was his role in all that occurred so many years in that little town of Bethlehem? What does it mean for you today, what he's done and what he is doing? At the end of our time, I want you to be able to answer those kinds of questions. That's my goal for our time this morning. I want you to know without a doubt that the Holy Spirit played a central role in all that you and I remember about Christmas. I want you to see that the Spirit is just as essential to the events of that first Christmas as the Father and the Son in fact, just as our series is titled, No Christmas Without, it is true that there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit. So if you're able to stand, let me invite you to do so in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in this moment. And we just ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Pray that your Holy Spirit, who dwells in us by your grace, would open our eyes and our ears to hear your word, and that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts. We need to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, and we cannot do that on our own. So in this moment, we ask for your help. We ask for your favor in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I have the privilege of leading the biblical counseling ministry here at Liberty. And as I've grown into this role, I have become more and more aware of how desperately we need the Holy Spirit. On Mondays, my typical Monday begins with me looking at the meetings that I will have throughout the week and going before him in prayer, asking that he would bless those meetings. Each, Monday, each morning, I'm praying for the, his presence and his power to be at work in those appointments that I will have. And I'm opening and closing each counseling session, asking that the Holy Spirit would help in our minds and our hearts to apply the things that we've talked about. Nothing in all of my life and ministry has given me a greater appreciation for his vital role in the transformation and the growth of believers than this. I've seen new life begin as he brings about in the hearts of men and women a a surrender to God's word. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen hope renewed as the truth of God's word has been driven deep into the deep hurts and pains and fears that people have. I've been privileged to sit back and witness true brokenness over sin. Not just sorrow over consequences, genuine brokenness over sin and a desperate grasp of God's amazing grace. Yet I've also seen the hard-hearted resistance and the pure spiritual blindness that accompanies people who are not experiencing the Spirit's inner redeeming work. 
when they reject God's word, when they don't trust him enough to walk in his ways, when they don't um, take and, uh, and receive his love. But amid it all, I have been made more aware than ever that if you or I are going to accomplish anything, anything of lasting change in other people's lives, it will not be due to the soundness of our minds, the strength of our wills, or the wellspring of our wisdom. It will only be for the same reason it's always ever been, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's why a verse that you have read a hundred times, all of a sudden on that morning or that evening, it stands out and it grips you and it sends you to your knees in genuine repentance or genuine thanksgiving. He's the reason why a, Paul, a man like Saul can be on his way to imprison Christians and end up being Paul who writes more than half of the New Testament. And here in our passage this morning, we see that the Holy Spirit um, we see that the Holy Spirit's the only reason why the second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God, could take to himself a human nature and be, and be born to bring peace between God and men. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Luke writes, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I've heard it described, I've heard the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ described as fireworks in reverse. The explosive power of fireworks being put back in to the package. Taking the immeasurable grandeur of eternity and conceiving him as a baby. Looking and acting no different than many of the babies that are just down the hall in the preschool ministry. In this simple verse is contained one of the most profound mysteries that has ever been voiced. And yet, all that we need to know about how this came to be is described in what one commentator wrote is the most delicate of word choices. There is no pagan notion in the scriptures of relations between God and Mary. Instead, in response to Mary's honest question of how she will become pregnant, the angel Gabriel merely says, the very presence of God's Spirit will come upon you and cause it to be. His presence will rest on them to empower what he's called them for. The Spirit will come upon Mary in the same sense he will later come upon the apostles to make them witnesses to the ends of the earth. Moreover, the spirit overshadowing Mary points back to the tabernacle in Moses' time when the glory of the Lord first entered and overshadowed the tent of meeting. In the same way, here is the very powerful and effective presence of the Most High enveloping Mary so that the one foretold becomes the one conceived. Beyond those details, there really remains a veil of mystery. You see, though we typically refer to the Christmas miracle as the virgin birth, that's really a mistaken way to describe what the true miracle really is. It's the virgin conception of Jesus that is truly remarkable. It's that he was conceived not in the natural manner, but through the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. I'll keep using the phrase virgin birth throughout this sermon and throughout our time. I'm not trying to ruin Christmas songs. 
But the true miracle is the virgin conception of Christ, and it's one that we cannot underestimate. For it's not only that without the birth of Jesus there would be no Christmas, it goes further than that. If not for the virgin birth of Christ, there would be no Christmas. And this is the immediate concern for us this morning. Why would there be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit? Because there would be no Jesus, fully God and fully man, without the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to slow down because even as I say that, there should be some alarm bells ringing in your mind. Think with me on this. We believe that the Son of God is the eternal second person of the Trinity, God himself who has always existed. I want to say that again. We believe that the Son of God is the eternal second person of the Trinity who has always existed. There's never been a time when he was not. So how can I say that apart from the Holy Spirit, there would be no Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man? Am I saying that God the Son did not exist before taking on flesh and being born in a manger? I'm not saying that. And this is where I, like, I really want you to just focus in and track with me because this matters. This is very important for believers to hold to and to keep. Doctrine matters. Because on the one side, you have people like Jehovah's Witnesses that deny the Trinity and believe that the Son of God was created. Then on the other side, you have those that believe that Jesus was a mere man, just a good or a great prophet. But the Bible teaches that God the Son has always existed. He was not created. There was never a time when he did not exist. Yet, at the incarnation, an extraordinary thing happened. The eternal second person of the Trinity, God himself, took to himself a human nature just like yours and mine except for sin. Meaning, that whereas God the Son was always eternal, just like God the Father and the Spirit, God the Son, there was a moment when he clothed himself in humanity and took on everything that it means to be a human except sin. The one who has always been fully God became the one who is fully God and fully man. Why is this important? We say the virgin birth is central to the Christian faith because apart from the Son becoming man, you and I would have no hope of salvation. On the one hand, who would have been able to deliver us from the infinite cost of the penalty of our sin except God who is himself infinite? But on the other hand... Who would rightly be able to represent humanity except one who shared in humanity? If we were to be brought from death to life, we were going to need someone who could do both. One who had the ability to pay our infinite debt and one who could rightly stand in our place as our representative. A mere man conceived naturally would have been just another sinner without claim to God's infinite ability to pay the penalty for sin. And God alone, without being man, 
would not have been able to stand in our place representing us. So in the incarnation, what happens is that deity and humanity are joined in one person, the one person of Jesus Christ. God the Son had only ever been deity before the incarnation. It took the Holy Spirit effectively knitting him together with humanity in Mary's womb to conceive the child who was named Jesus, who would save God's people from their sins, who would save you from your sins. This is why I can say that without the Holy Spirit, the baby boy named Jesus would not be. Not because God the Son would not have existed, but because Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, would not have existed. So while it would not be right to say that, the Holy, that without the Holy Spirit, God the Son would not exist, it is perfectly right to say that without Him, the one who is both God and man would not exist. He had to be God, he had to be man, and he had to be sinless. And all of it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. How it came to be, we don't know. We don't know except for what Scripture says, that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. How it came to be, we don't know. That it came to be is essential. It's essential to you and to me. Which brings us to number one on your notes. The first reason there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit is that without the Spirit, there would be no virgin birth. Meaning that the Word would not have been made flesh. Presumably, any baby born naturally would have just added another man in need of redemption. Should we do away with the Holy Spirit, all that we celebrate about Christmas, about that baby in the manger, would vanish in an instant. No great announcements. No shepherds who were rejoicing. Nothing. No Holy Spirit. No virgin birth. No virgin birth. No Jesus. No Jesus. No salvation for you and for me. But that's just the first reason why there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit. The second is that the Holy Spirit is the one who anointed and empowered the earthly ministry of Jesus. Having grown up and entered into a time where his public ministry was about to begin, Jesus was baptized. And at his baptism, Luke says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like in the bodily form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then after baptism, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Afterwards, having overcome Satan, he comes back to the synagogue. And, and Luke records this in chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up, it says, Jesus then rolled the scroll back up, 
gave it to the attendant, sat down, and it says the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And Jesus says this, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, as God, Jesus was perfectly capable in his own power of doing the works of God. But as a man, he surrendered to the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Not only to demonstrate to you and I what it looks like for a man to live under the authority of the Holy Spirit, but also to perfectly fulfill the law on your behalf. A few years ago, we did a Christmas series on the Incarnation. And it was all about the significance of Jesus being fully man. And we did that because we're all very comfortable saying that Jesus is fully God. Like we're in this kind of church culture where we're, we're comfortable saying that Jesus is fully God. But we get a bit apprehensive when we start talking about what does it mean that Jesus is fully man. That apprehension is good and it's right about the very nature of God himself. Like doing a sermon like this on a person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, you have to be very, very precise. Otherwise, you're going to rightly call me out for some heresy up here. And we don't want that. We've got to be very, very purposeful. But it's perfectly right for us to say that in his humanity, Jesus Christ surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Consider some of these passages. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Matthew 12, 28. Jesus says to the Pharisees, But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Acts 10, 38. Peter's preaching to the Gentiles and he says, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Hebrews 9.14 says, Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Nothing in any of those verses is meant to diminish the work and authority of Jesus. Instead, it just means that the Spirit didn't miraculously conceive Jesus in Mary's womb and then take a 30-plus year sabbatical. He didn't just step back and say, okay, well, my work's done here. When Jesus then ascends back to the, the right hand of the Father, then I'll come again and I'll start working again. He wasn't taking a break during the life and ministry of Jesus. Instead, as one writer says, the Spirit hides himself in the folds of Jesus' humanity. The Spirit was active and powerfully working for your redemption and God's glory in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Which points to the second reason there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit. By ministry, by the Spirit, Jesus displayed godly wisdom at an early age. By the Spirit, Jesus endured temptation on your behalf. By the Spirit, Jesus taught with authority. By the Spirit, Jesus offered himself up on the cross for you. We celebrate Christmas not only because the Messiah has come, 
But church family, we also celebrate Christmas because the Messiah has conquered. Just think, the story of Jesus isn't one that just starts well and then ends poorly. No, Jesus endured. He actually did what he was supposed to do. He actually did what he said he was going to do. He endured in his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. What began in the manger was completed on the cross and announced in the resurrection. Your Christmas, our Christmas as a faith family, would remain a large disappointment without the accomplishment of Easter. Christians don't celebrate the life of a potential Savior. We celebrate the life of a risen Savior, a conquering Savior, a successful Savior, a finishing Savior. And it was by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the ministry of the Holy Child was eventually completed. By the Spirit, your Christmas has been saved from becoming a memory of what could have been. Instead, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, all the while knowing what was done for us in his death and resurrection. We get to celebrate Christmas knowing the end of the story. And that's in great measure due to the third person of the Trinity. But consider a third, person, or a third reason why there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, you would not have the very scriptures that tell you of the events of that first Christmas. The Christmas story that you and I read every year, whether it's in Matthew or Luke, that Christmas story testifies to the Holy Spirit's work on your behalf. The Bible you hold in your hand or the Bible that you flip to on your phone, like that Bible is an expression of the love God the Spirit has for you. And not just in the New Testament, Remember, the Old Testament provides a buildup and the backstory to everything that we celebrate at Christmas. Great anticipation would have been lost without this work of the Holy Spirit. Nothing in Genesis about a promised offspring of a woman who would one day crush the serpent's head. Nothing in Deuteronomy about a prophet like Moses who would give the people God's word and direct them in his ways. Nothing in 2 Samuel about the future son of David who would rule eternally on David's throne. No, one, uh, no anointed one or Messiah in the Psalms who would destroy all wicked authority. No sign in Isaiah about a virgin who would conceive or a child named Emmanuel. And no son of man in Daniel who would be given dominion and glory to rule over an everlasting kingdom. Like these and so many other prophecies in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus, they would have perished. And not only would the people of those times have been left without a word of hope, but we would have been left out without, a wor without words of confirmation about who Jesus is. Like hardly any of our Christmas songs would make sense apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Silent Night mentions the virgin birth. We wouldn't be able to sing it. We'd be going, what is that talking about? O Holy Night mentions the title Christ, which comes from the Psalms. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, that song would not make sense. But the significance of all of this goes way beyond just trying to keep some of our Christmas songs. It's about the fact that not only did the Holy Spirit enable the events of Christmas, He enabled the record of those events. 2 Peter 1 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke of God as they were carried along 
by the Holy Spirit. This wasn't done for just the intellectual curiosity of religious people. No, it was done for hope. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The Holy Spirit did this so that you would have hope. Just think about the place of hope in this crazy, messed up world. When you're overwhelmed by the news or a new wave of virus or when you're thinking that this world is spinning out of control, when you're tired of dealing with the same sin in your life over and over and over again, when you're thinking that that relationship is just about on the brink of being done, you need hope. And the Holy Spirit has worked to give it to you in the Scriptures. We talk about the hope of Christmas, yet that only exists because the Holy Spirit has moved upon men in the past to record the words and works of God in the Scriptures. The baby in that manger represents the hope of all hopes, but he also represents the desire of the Spirit that you personally, you personally would have hope. And the record of that baby in the manger also testifies that the God of the universe wants you to know the joy and the peace and the true genuine hope of Christmas who is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the fourth and final reason why there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, you would not have the spiritual life that you have in Jesus Christ. If you know the joy and the hope and the peace and the true genuine love of Christmas, who is Jesus Christ the Lord then you know him only because the power of the Most High that worked in Mary's womb has worked in your heart. Millions around the world will celebrate Christmas as though it's merely a time for families to gather or gifts to be exchanged. Millions will say Merry Christmas to total strangers and they'll even sing songs with, with real joy at Christmas time. But here's the thing. Many of them, many, in fact, a great many of them will do so without the slightest pause to consider what this day every year truly means. And though I kind of think that this is going to change in the future, it, it's almost as though the wider culture imposes this self-deafness uh, to the very words that they sing about for a few weeks every year. Men and women who wouldn't be caught dead with a Bible in their hands will sing about the one that the Bible announces. People who would decry being told that they need saving will sing joyfully about the one the Bible says is the Savior. Some of the greatest gospel proclamation happens between Thanksgiving and Christmas every year in these songs that we sing. And I have little doubt that one day many people will be astonished to know that the gospel they stubbornly rejected in their hearts was the same gospel they joyfully sang in their songs. Perhaps that's you this morning. We've sung some Christmas songs already. Perhaps you don't believe that Jesus is the Lord. 
Perhaps you don't believe that he's the long-awaited Savior. Perhaps you don't believe that he was born of a virgin. Then not only be careful what you do and say, be careful what you sing. Lest the words that you sing be used later to condemn your unbelief. For only those who have surrendered to the truths of Christmas can genuinely sing and celebrate those truths. Only when the Spirit of God has actively reshaped your heart can you see the baby in the manger as the one who rightly rules on the throne of your heart. Who else can celebrate the arrival of a Savior but the one that believes he needs a Savior? Who else can sing joy to the world but the one who's been hoping for a joy that goes beyond this world? Who else can recognize the lordship of the virgin-born Messiah but one who has tasted the disappointment and the despair of trying to be one's own Messiah? These realizations don't come naturally. They're not inborn. You're not born with these realizations. No, these are spiritual matters. And, that, and thus, they must be spirit-given. No one comes to the Father but by the Son. But no one comes to the Son but by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And not only at the beginning of your salvation is this true, but all the way through it. The one who grants you salvation is the one who empowers you to keep working it out. Because the one who is born Emmanuel, God with us, has sent to his people the Spirit to be God in us. Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The very first Christmas you celebrated your personal Lord and Savior Jesus, that was the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That very first Christmas after you had surrendered your life and you saw that newborn king as your king, that was the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But today if you're celebrating your 10th Christmas like that, your 30th, your 50th, your 70th Christmas as a believer, then also recognize that you do so today only because the Spirit is keeping His promise to bring to completion what He began in your life. He's the one producing the fruit of genuine Christ-likeness in your life. He's the one raising the eyes of your heart to Jesus so that you can remember His promises and trust in His goodness. The Spirit's the one who convicts us of our sin and equips us and trains us up to be more and more like the one who began His earthly ministry in a manger. Do you have eyes to see Jesus as he truly is? Do you have ears to hear the true message of Christmas? Then you have a very clear and personal reason to be grateful for the Holy Spirit because he's worked in you in a very clear and personal way. Because you can decorate a tree without divine re redemption. You can bake cookies and exchange gifts without the gospel transforming your heart. And as we've seen, you can sing songs about Jesus without a trace of genuine repentance and faith. What you can't do, however, is truly adore the newborn king. 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, that takes being made new, beginning on the inside. And you can experience that today. Like if you've never placed your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, you can experience that today if you will confess your sins, call out to God for His forgiveness, and trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would do so today. Church, there's a, lot of, there's a lot wrapped up in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, particularly as it relates to Christmas. But as we've seen, there's at least four general reasons why there would be no Christmas apart from the Holy Spirit. First, Jesus Christ being born of a virgin required the Spirit. Second, the life and ministry of Jesus relied on the Spirit. Third, the human authors of Scripture were inspired by the Spirit. And fourth, we believe in Jesus because of the Spirit. Really don't see how it could get any more central than those truths. Yet, I can say that for myself personally, Christmas in years past has been often, more often about the Father and the Son than it has been about the Spirit. Like, this was a really good week for me studying because I was challenged going, I don't know that I've really ever sat and thought a long time about what the Spirit did in Christmas for my, for my, my salvation, my life, and my work. Like, I've never really taken time to dwell on that. It's always been about the Father sending His Son or the Son being sent. But to think specifically on the Spirit, it was a blessing to me. The often hidden uh, third person of the Trinity is just as important to the things we celebrate at Christmas. Not only in what we celebrate, but in that we celebrate. And so as I bring this to a close, see in the Holy Spirit the greatness of God's power being brought to bear on your greatest need. The power of the Most High has made Christmas possible. And that in itself should cause us to pause and to consider Him. He has not done these things for no reason. He made the Word flesh so that you would see the grace and the saving purpose of God. He anointed the life and ministry of Jesus so that you might have hope in a risen Savior rather than a potential Savior. He inspired the writers of Scripture that you might know the words and the works and the promises of your Creator and Redeemer. And He convicts the world today of sin and righteousness that the gap between an unholy people and a holy God might be bridged through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He's worthy of your gratitude and worship. He's worthy of our gratitude and worship. He's worthy of us remembering what He has done and what He is doing on our behalf. To the one who has never surrendered to His call and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, will you do that today? The gospel demands a response. Will you make this Christmas the first one that you've ever celebrated, genuinely bending the knee to the king who was newborn and brought forth into the manger? For the rest of us, let, us, let this be a time of worship. After I pray, let, us, let this be a time of worship that 
And even a time for us to ask the Holy Spirit, who by God's grace dwells within us, to ask Him to examine our hearts to see if there's any area of our life that is grieving Him because we're refusing to surrender to Him. He has worked back then for your good, and He's working right now for your good. Apart from the Spirit, there would be no Christmas. And so this Christmas, may we give him thanks and follow his leading as he moves in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you in this moment. Very grateful for your Holy Spirit. You have not left us as orphans. You said that you wouldn't. You said that you would send us another helper. Jesus, you promised us that you would send the Spirit to remind us of your words, your promises, and you've done that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the miracle of Christmas. And we thank you for the miracle of new birth in our own hearts. I pray for the man or woman in here who has never surrendered to Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their heart to grasp the truth of the gospel, the majesty of Jesus Christ, and they would surrender to you. Father, I pray for the man or the woman in here who is a believer but has never dwelled upon your work on their behalf. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in their hearts to give them a greater appreciation. And Lord, allow them to worship during this time, to sing your praises because you are worthy. I pray that all of us would keep being changed by you, oh Holy Spirit. We need it. We want to be more like Christ. We see all the areas in our lives where we fall so short. Maybe even repeatedly we fall short. But you never give up on us. And you keep working in us. And you will bring to completion the things that you've begun. So help us to take heart. Help us to receive your love and forgiveness and your strength. Keep transforming us by your gospel as we seek to fulfill the mission that you've given to us. We love you, Lord, and we surrender to you. Move in us as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.